everybody. Welcome back to Simply Soccer. I'm Michelle Hutink, your host, and of course, Christian Conway, my co-host. Welcome into some Simply Soccer fun. Yep, season two, guys, and uh, it's still January. God, this, feel, this feels like the longest January in history. Like, I swear to God. The world, should have, the world should have ended about five times over at this point. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of that, it might with this coronavirus scare. <laughs> yeah, and of Although, course, I love how the CDC comes out and it's like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Isn't that how every horrible pandemic movie begins? Like, the government's like, oh, it's not that bad of a virus. You'll live if you contract it. And then all of a sudden it mutates and we're all like zombies. <laughs> well, the thing is they had their first human-to-human transmission. And I was like, what was it transmitting from before? <laughs> I mean... I, I again, I, I am not a biologist by any stretch of the imagination. I'm more of a I'm more of a Medela virus kind of guy personally. So <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyways, I don't know. Uh, there's always something threatening to kill us, isn't there? But <laughs> uh, dang, I don't want to change it up this way now. But unfortunately, we did lose a huge Los Angeles sports figure. Yeah, I mean it. It, it, it is absolutely. Uh, heartbreaking loss of Kobe Bryant. I mean, and also especially his daughter Gigi and, and all the families involved, uh, the Alto Belli, uh, the Alto Belli family as well. Um, but you know, it, it's been so moving to me to see the entire city of Los Angeles and and really Southern California and indeed the world really come and share all these incredible stories of a man who, who he. he his career was complicated. I think there's no question about that. And, and he definitely is a very complicated figure. Um, but for me, what I always, what I've, I've kind of taken solace in when, when it comes to Kobe is that Kobe was a man that in his later years, in, in, in the later years of his career, and as his kind of his second career after retirement really began, was a man that realized that he had made mistakes very early in his career. Um, and seems like a person that owned those mistakes and was working very hard to right the wrongs that he committed and and build a better society learning through his mistakes. And that to me is probably one of the most heartbreaking things about this is that Kobe was a guy that wanted to do so much better through the world. And that, you know, that, that it, to me, that's that that's really just a, a, a horrible, horrible thing. Yeah, I mean, as a woman and as somebody growing up in in Los Angeles, I mean, everybody knew Kobe Bryant. And I mean, it was a shock. Uh, I think that this is one of the first major, major, major deaths, like where we've been so connected through social media. And it was instantaneous. I mean, and your initial response, because we are so connected, is that this is a hoax. Um, You know, and then you hear about this helicopter that had crashed in in Calabasas and then you put two and two together and you know, okay, there obviously I didn't know that the news broke out before Vanessa uh, Kobe's wife was able to be informed. And I think that that's terrible. That's, um, the hard, that's, that's another just really hard part about all this is like, imagine, you know, even if you don't find out, you know, checking Twitter or whatever, but like you have friends texting you, you know, like, is Kobe yeah. okay? Like whatever, instead of like, well, then knowing that your daughter, exactly. Yeah. You know, with him, it's like, Look, and, and that was, look, we're not going to sit here and, like, debate, like, what's harder to lose. Like, that's just ridiculous. But, but I mean, losing your child in addition to the love of your life, I mean, you know, it's it's rough. It's, yeah. it's I mean, that's an understatement. Um, it, so, you know, she posted yesterday on Instagram saying, um, you know, thanks for all the, the love and, and pouring out. Uh, 
And like you said, I just hadn't seen LA. I hadn't seen this many Lakers jerseys in I don't know how long, you know? Yeah. Um, and the thing, I mean, if you look at Staples, I mean, now it's Thursday and still the, the square outside Staples Center is still completely packed with people yeah. that just still who have felt the need to come and, and gather together. I think, you know, there are in, in, in moments of tragedy, there are also moments after tragedy that are very beautiful moments that it, it show community and shows strength of community. And that to me is one of the, 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 the beautiful moments, beautiful moments that have come out of the strategies is fans coming together at Staples and the, the plaza in front of it and really finding comfort and joy in one another and realizing how deep this community runs that loves Kobe, that loves the Lakers, that it is a very kind of amazing thing in a, in, in, in the face of a very horrible tragedy. Um, I think that's, that's definitely something that shouldn't be, or that should, that should be, I guess, celebrated or um, acknowledged as a very, you know, healing cathartic thing in the face of, of, this loss. Absolutely. And obviously it brings, you know, to face our own mortalities and that, you know, death doesn't discriminate. And I mean, Kobe's had quotes, you know, that are now resurfacing, but it's just, you know, enjoy life, do what you can and, and keep moving forward, you know, and like, don't, it's too short to be discouraged. So I really, that really resonated with me. And he was an advocate for, for women's sports, particularly, and um, it was he was I mean, his advocacy for the WNBA and for the U.S. Women's National Team in general was was yeah. incredibly, you know, moving. Um, he was at the victory tour game uh, in Pasadena when that uh, last year. I mean, he's he was it, the thing about it is, you know, you didn't approach supporting women's sports from a, a place of, you know, oh, it's, you know, the women, you know, kind of like he didn't approach it from a place of like, you know, because he has four daughters, like, <laughs> yeah, not just that, but he approached it from a place of, look, guys, it doesn't matter gender. This is sport. Like, why are we not supporting it? Like we support sport, yeah. you know, like this, yeah. this doesn't and last week he did something with uh, MLS. Yeah. I mean, he's, he was, uh, he was a massive soccer fan just in general. I mean, if you look at, oh yeah, he's friends with Messi, right. You look at his connection with, with AC Milan, he, he grew up an AC Milan fan. I mean, talk about the teams that he grew up with, you know, with Shevchenko and Maldini and, 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 you know, those greats. And, and uh, of course, AC Milan and, and the AC Milan ultras did uh, a pretty touching tribute to him and, and Gigi uh, during their Copa Italia game um, against Torino. And, you know, he, he, he was a regular at Galaxy games. He would attend often. He, 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 he loved soccer. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a part of me that kind of started to think about his legacy in terms of like what, you know, what ifs. And like, I mean, I, you could easily see him being an owner of a soccer club at some mm-hmm. point in his life. He loved the sport so much. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it is, it, you know, for our soccer community, it's, it's, I think it's more, a more significant loss than I think people understand necessarily. Yeah. Um, the other point I do want to say is also like, you know, his daughter passing away, his daughter was going to carry the, the name of uh, mm-hmm. the, the Bryant name in such a, an amazing way you know she said like she you know she was 14 and she was talking about like how she couldn't wait to go to the WNBA she couldn't wait you know to be a professional basketball player and you know that is you know it almost feels like we lost a legacy that was never being that was never able to be created you know and mm-hmm. that that also is a very kind of heartbreaking thing absolutely so our hearts go out to the Bryant family and those of the families that were um, affected by all of this and of course um, all of the fans as well so 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Um, okay, so the U.S. women's national team, uh, speaking of, uh, since he was an advocate for, for sports and women, um, the U.S. women's national team, they actually won 4-0 against Haiti, which no one is surprised about. Um, you know, that's one of the things about, I mean, look, we're a stellar team, obviously, but it's when they're beating the 68th best team in the world like that, <laughs> you know. Um, well, it wasn't, the first half was a bit slow going, and it, and it did look in the last 15 minutes like Haiti lost a gear just due to sheer exhaustion of dealing with the juggernaut that is the United States attack. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there were, there were moments in this game where it, it did look a little rusty. And I think, look, I mean, it's our first competitive game since the World Cup. They haven't. And, and a lot of the the, uh, the the old guard, shall we say, the, the ones that went in 2019, a lot of them, you know, haven't played a match for the U.S. Women's National Team since, you know, the victory tour. Like, a lot of them are, you know, are rusty. And honestly, just a lot of stuff. There was basic mistakes and stuff like that. And had this been, you know, in the middle of a tournament, they played through matches and they throw this in, then it's a little bit more of an area of concern. But now I think this is just, look, you haven't played with one another in a long time. There's going to be rust. You were with a new coach. You're with a new system. Just you got to you got to knock the, the the chunks of rust off before you know you can fly. So yeah, I mean they got a game already tomorrow uh, against Panama. Um, the the biggest thing here with the whole Concacaf showing of the women's uh, Olympic qualifying, it's it's that the lack of marketing. Like hardly anybody was there, and it was shown on Fox Soccer um two and then fs2 and then it's going to be on fox soccer plus like i think there's one american game that's being shown fox soccer plus which is a dinosaur from back in the day when there was like fox soccer channel and like fox had all these these rights i mean it is so the tv deal i don't think is necessarily pinnable on the u.s federation it's much more yeah and and it, it and if you look at the deal it was packaged in with you know the gold cup the men's qualifying tournament for the Olympics for two rounds, I believe, as well, and the CONCACAF Champions League. So literally, like, they've relegated the most marketable team in the United States Mm -hmm. to a channel that no one gets. Like, that to me, the on-ground thing is one thing. Like, CONCACAF should have sold this match better. I think there's no question on the ground. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. Houston. Houston's a huge soccer market. They could have easily gotten more than 1,000 people in that stadium. I mean, 5,000, 10,000 people. You know, no one's expecting it to sell out. I don't because I mean it's it's a game against Haiti and it's Olympic qualifying and not a lot of people are familiar with the fact that you do have to qualify to get. And it was a Tuesday game. Yeah, it's early, Tuesday. early. Yeah. I think a lot of casual U.S. women's national team consumers automatically assume the United States will be qualifying for the Olympics for granted and for the World Cup for granted. They don't realize the yeah. fact that they do have to play to get to that point. Yeah, because um, I mean actually because the final and the semifinal are being held at the Diggity. Yeah. So. Um, and I hope I hope you know, listeners of this pod and, 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 and others really do pack that out and show support. I mean, the only way that we, we can grow interest in the women's game, and, and I think the only way we can really get CONCACAF women's teams to take these things seri- to take things seriously is to continue to, you know, fill out the stadiums, et cetera. I mean, the thing that kind of struck me was, you know, the 68th ranked team in the world, Haiti, you know, played them pretty evenly for 30 minutes. And probably should have had an equalizer that was wrongly called off due to uh, a misunderstanding of the offside rule. Yeah, that's what I saw. But then it's like, how? Like this is the same organization that had 
the Gold Cup final on the same day as yes. the Women's World <laughs> Cup final. Like, and, and Victor Montaglia, or uh, Monta, uh, Montaglia, uh, who's the head of CONCACAF, basically said, whoops, we made, like we screwed up, it's our bad. Like, you didn't bother to check the calendar? Like, that's not that hard to do. So, I mean, this is, mo- this is just kind of a, a further evidence of just the absolute ineptitude of CONCACAF over just a wide variety of things. But I think, you know, the one thing is that, you know, taking it back to a soccer perspective, I mean, Look, these are the games you expect the United States women's national team to win. This is mm-hmm. this is a very easy romp through. I mean, they play Panama next. Panama's not really done anything of known on the international stage. They have a very easy way of getting to the Olympics. The thing I'm, I I I think one of the more interesting things is going to be how Vladko experiments because keep in mind his his Olympic roster can only be 18 players. There are going to be names that are household names that we are very familiar with that will not be going on that plane to Tokyo. And it's going to be very interesting to see what those names are, because if you are a U.S. Women's National Team fan right now, I would expect, you know, I would get I would get comfortable really quick to the fact that some of the names that you have loved for a very long period of time will not be on that plane to Japan, and that will be the end of their national team careers. And it's, mm. I mean, that's the reality of a national team program, but it's going to be very interesting to see what those six will be because i mean there are names like that are floating in my head that probably aren't going that would be massive shakeups to the u.s women's national team program well players that stood out this game um was williams she actually lost her shoe um on that, was, that, was press. So that was so good because when, when it happened i watched it and i was like did someone throw a bottle on the field or something like that and then <laughs> And then, and then you quickly forget because press scores, and then you go back and you're like, no, she just like popped right off. She just she kept going. I know, plant foot. It was, it was. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> when that happened, that did create a little bit of controversy on Twitter, on uh, referee Twitter, because everyone was like, what is, it's this place supposed to be stopped or not? And so that was kind of funny to see. Yeah, Williams got her goal, Haran got her goal, and then Carly Lloyd. Lynn, Lynn Williams to me is probably the person who post World Cup has the most to gain because I for me it was either her or McCall's and uh, Zerboni that were like the left like there's always you know the 23 men roster gets announced and there's always the 24th player like the one player that was right on like the like the toughest cut the last cut mm-hmm. and I think Lynn Williams and McCall Zerboni were probably co-sharers of that 24th spot and it's really good to see her not lose any kind of ambition but you know kind of say all right it wasn't my time and work hard, and now she's getting her opportunities. And that, to me, is, is awesome, and it says a lot about her as a player. Um, I, I I think she's got a, a, a pretty long future with this with this national team. I think she's finally getting the respect she deserves. Um, she's definitely a name that, if she continues to play like this, she could inch out some people on that flight to Tokyo. So. Yeah, the thing is, Morgan Alex Morgan's uh, little girl is due in April, so she could totally be ready. To but go to play in Tokyo. She says she's going to be ready. Well, yeah. I mean, she's still kicking soccer balls six months in, so. That's like, <laughs> I mean, if you look at, for example, Serena Williams, how long it took for her to recover mm-hmm. after her pregnancy. Now, Serena's case was a little bit unique just because, you know, she had a lot of very serious postpartum uh, complications that um, are just now becoming. Uh, a thing, like the, awareness. We're now becoming aware of. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Serena's not necessarily a perfect kind of comparison, but look, I mean having a kid is really difficult, you know, like, so 
And I mean, what? Neither, able- neither of us on this pod would know, just FYI. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just obviously. Nor, nor, do I intend, nor do I intend to find out. Um, <laughs> but like, I mean, the, the best you can hope for is an early April due date. And then just, I mean, the work it would take to get ready mm-hmm. would be would be massive. So, I, again, if any player can do it, it's Alex Morgan. I, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people have bet against her during her career and she's proving them wrong every single time. Yeah. I just think, I also think, you know, striker is kind of figured out at this point, really, you know, even if Alex Morgan's gone, Kristen press can carry the line. Mm-hmm. I mean, say what you will about Carly Lloyd. <laughs> I hear Jamie screaming in the background. I... Say what you will about Carly Lloyd and, and her age, but I mean, you know, Carly still can do a job for you. So I think, you know, I mean, Striker's not really a position of need where it's to the point where they would need Alex Morgan to just completely rush back. It would be, it would be a nice, obviously a nice option to have, but you know, they have, they have room to play in case, you know, there's complications with, with, with Alex Morgan in terms of her return to mm. to the sport. Mm-hmm. Well, stay tuned because uh, also February 1st is the U S men's national teams game. And uh, Christian Roldan and Jordan Morris were already sent back to Seattle. Uh, that doesn't it doesn't surprise me necessarily. I think. But they kept Jesse's artist though. I mean. <laughs> well, also keep in mind what you know Christian rolled on and 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 Jordan Morris's season was. They played until you know into December. They then immediately went to camp. You know, there's probably not a, mile, a lot of mileage left in those legs. I think also uh, Seattle. Seattle probably talked with U.S. Soccer House and said, "Look, you know, we have Concacaf Champions League coming up." we'd really like our two best players, you know, two of our best players to, to be in camp as soon as camp starts, you know, like mm-hmm. that, that's an understandable request. And especially, well, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Um, I'm and fine with it. Considering the opposition and considering what January is as a camp, it, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily the most surprising thing that they're kind of like, you know what? Yeah. We can let them go. Um, and, 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 and we can keep moving forward. It wouldn't surprise me also if this, this game against Costa Rica turns into a bit of a glorified U23 friendly because the mm. United States Federation has come out and strongly said that the goal is qualifying for the Olympics and oh. they've missed it on three consecutive cycles. Right. They're not screwing around. Like this, I think this camp is, is to get those guys ready for the U23 and, you know, sprinkle in some veterans that, you know, Bear Halter thinks are good, just leader types in the locker room that can help these guys take that next step that's required to qualify for the Olympics. And our Sebastian Legette is still named to the midfield there. Yeah, I mean, if you look at that... He's been a spark. I mean, I, I love to see him on our... But if you look at the midfield, I mean, Legette, Ueli, uh, Aronson, Kappas, Kayo, and Servania. I mean, there's not a lot of players that do Legette's role in, in that midfield. So, you know, I think he's been brought in... I think what also, you know, what Bearhalter did with bringing in some of these veterans was he looked at the youth, you know, the youth players that he brought in and said, what, like, what's the one facet at each position that every young player I brought in, what, what is it that they don't have? And then he picked a veteran player to kind of fill in that role. And I think Legette kind of fills that really creative, almost number 10 style, you know, hardworking midfielder. Um, Cause you know, you always a good pass, you always a good passer, but in Bearhalter's system, I think Bearhalter sees him more defensively than anything else. Aronson's mm-hmm. a good number 10, but Aronson's only 19. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, this is a chance for Legette to be a mentor to a lot of very exciting young players. And that's a, I, I, I think it's a role that Legette takes on very gladly. If you look at a lot of kind of the, 
if, you know, the photos and stuff are to be believed, he's usually around, you know, the young players on the galaxy, you know, kind of talking to them and, 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 you know, teaching them through the, the difficulties of being a pro. And I think this is a good, I mean, this is legit the leader that we haven't really gotten a chance to see necessarily because there are a lot, a lot of leader types in the locker room of the galaxy. That's true. Well, definitely. Um, I am, I am, I am excited to see that this is the most excited I have been about a U.S. men's national team game in a while because I'm just looking through this lineup and there are so many exciting young names that have a chance to be very good players. I mean, Jesus Ferreira. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad Jesus, you said that. Jesus Ferreira at Dallas this past season was absolutely electric. Ulysses Lana is unfortunately a Galaxy product that chose to move to Germany for free. The kid would have probably been playing for the Galaxy this season had he stayed. Uh, Cervani has a fantastic talent. Uh, Kappas kind of an unknown talent, but apparently from all the scouting reports I've read, he's he can he can be the real deal. Um, and I guess the name that interests me the most is uh, Brian Kao at 17 years old. You know, we don't know a lot about him, um, but, you know, sometimes a national team head coach just sees a player and knows. That, and, and I'm thinking maybe Berhalter Sakai. I was going to say even Berhalter. Yeah. <laughs> Not a fan, but. <laughs> Bear, if, if there's one thing Berhalter does well, it's talent identification. Okay. So, I mean. His his Columbus teams, they were always well personnel. If they even if they didn't play the most inspiring types of soccer sometimes, but so I, I, I'm I'm interested. This midfield is really interesting. Um, I mean, obviously we we have to talk about Julian Araujo, of course, Galaxy mm-hmm. player. Yeah. And congratulations to him Super for getting his first call ups. Um, he's gonna you know he'll probably start maybe against Costa Rica. I'm looking at the at the pool. I mean. Um, you know, it's either him or Reggie Cannon at one of the outside back spots. So, I mean, this is an exciting young national team. This finally feels like the national team we were crying out for, which is all these really exciting young talents getting a chance to go out and prove what they are. Good, because I need I need to stop being salty and be like <laughs> ready to. You know, I was the first one a couple of years ago. Um, I interviewed Jordan Morris and I was all trying to defend, you know, the U.S. men's national team after they didn't qualify for the World Cup and everything. And um, yeah, that was, and then, that was indefensible, let's be honest. Uh, oh, that, fair enough. <laughs> I tried. No, I just try to keep everybody on board. It's like, look, you know. Um, but yeah, I think I think the solution here is the youth. Um, I mean, it's but that's why I said it was kind of funny that you know Jesse's artist is there, but he he scores, doesn't he? Yeah, and I and there's reason Berhalter likes him, I and mean, he fits in Berhalter's system wherever Berhalter goes, and that's I mean that's good enough, you know. Mm. I mean he, he's 28. I, I I think you know you look at the striker pool outside of him. I mean Josh Sargent's just starting to get his feet under him at Vertebrimen to the point where I'd, I'd actually consistently believe he should be starting. I mean, Josie can never stay healthy, unfortunately. I was going to ask because people were talking about how Josie's free now and could come to the Galaxy. Yeah, I mean, it'd be taking a risk. I think there's no question about that. And I know we just got rid of, not to say like like that, but come on, Alessandrini, who was injury prone. I mean, we're not going to, like, I just don't think we should pick up somebody who's obviously, even though it's not no fault of his own, it's just. The other, the other question I think in terms of, you know, going for Josie is, would Josie be happy being a backup? And I don't think he would. Because no. he can't he can't play wing. It's just it's not in his nature. Um, he's you know he's a point striker kind of guy. That's Chicharito. Like they the Galaxy just went out and and broke the bank for a guy that then they would go out and buy his you know buy a backup with probably allocation money. Like I just don't see that happening. But and and, and that's you know Josie's 
for me, always been the greatest, one of the greatest U.S. strikers of all time. I don't think he ever gets the respect he truly deserves. I mean, 115 caps, 42 goals. That's a pretty good goal scoring rate. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just with Josie, I think a lot of the story is, God, if he could have just remained healthy, you know, what could have been? You know, the, the the biggest Josie story for me that I the, always the big what if Josie story for me is the 2014 World Cup. Wait, can we Ghana. all just like flashback right now to the well, we're over. playing no. Ghana? <laughs> oh God, okay. The United States is up one. Sorry, I flashback to Belgium. <laughs> the United States is up one nil, and Josie's breaking down the wing, and I mean he's absolutely got acres of space, and then just pulls up because he tore his hamstring. Uh, and like yeah. to me, that was like, what happens if Josie Elster is healthy through that entire tournament? Like it would have, I, I don't know if the outcome would have been aggressively different, but the, I was going to say, we're not going to be like the 2002. (laughs) We weren't going to win that world cup. I don't think there's any question about that, Um, but we would have probably done a hell of a lot better in a semifinal than Brazil did. Um, But like Josie's, the the summary, I think of Josie's career is everyone going to the US 14 world cup was like, Oh my God, Josie's on form. Josie's going to kill it. Josie gets injured. And, I, and, it's, and it's an utter shame that Josie's national team career and his and and later his club career has kind of been it been marred by that. But I mean, you know, he's put a lot of mileage on his body. Like this happens when you do that. So, um, you know, for me, back to the Zardis point, just looking at the striker pool. I mean, mm-hmm. this this could be Josie's last hurrah, if you will. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I completely agree, especially if they keep going, like you said, um, with these young guys. Just what like this is this is both the exciting thing for me and kind of the frustrating thing for me is that mm-hmm. this should have been it like from the very beginning when yeah Greg Bearhalter walked into the room this should have been the first roster called <laughs> but it wasn't I know <laughs> like this is oh it's just it's so completely frustrating but I mean they have Costa Rica uh, on the first. But then they have two very tricky friendlies in Europe with the Netherlands and Wales. I think it's going to be interesting to see what type of squad um, gets called in for that. I'm assuming it's probably going to be mostly the European-based players. But it wouldn't surprise me if some of the, the younger European guys get a look. Or, or those guys, those like 18-year-olds that are dual nationals that are kind of on the fence. I wouldn't be surprised if they get called. Oh, I see. So it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting two months for the U.S. men's national team uh, from just kind of like a tinkering and tailoring kind of perspective rather than like a competitive perspective like you said we're excited for it and we'll keep you covered um moving into february as we go um the cba has been extended to february 7th that that i i think that's a good sign (laughs) (laughs) i know it's a good sign in the sense that that means they're actually talking like they're actually productive conversations to the point where they're like look we need to have something in order here, but we feel we have, we just need a little bit more time to keep discussing. Had it not been extended, then I would have been more concerned. I would have, I, I actually would have been concerned that the two sides were at such an impasse that they couldn't even agree to extend the CBA, then that's an issue. That's the positive side of me saying that. The negative side of me saying that is if they need more time at the negotiating table, then there's a lot of things more than I, than we originally thought. And the, the gap between the two sides is a lot bigger than we thought. So, I mean, I'm I'm choosing to stay in the positive here that like they've they've agreed to push it to the seventh so that 
they can be very thorough about maybe a longer CBA than traditionally, you know, maybe like a four or five year CBA versus like a two, three year CBA. But again, there is a, a small bit of concern in me that this extension is the gap between the two like sides. Putting off the inevitable. Yeah. Well, the gap between the two sides is larger than we thought. And oh boy, we got a lot of work to do. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out in the coming days. I, I will say it's interesting to me that neither the players union nor MLS head office has released a lot of information into the media. Like a lot of media members are as blind as we all are in terms yeah. of how conversations going. Yeah. We don't like, have anything on the inside guys. No. Not right now. Like MLSPA basically came out and said, Oh, negotiations are proceeding fine. And like, you know, even the guys that are the most well connected at the highest levels of, of MLSPA access and, and, and us soccer were kind of like, so what does this mean? Like, what does the statement mean? And they're like, it means exactly what we said. Things are going, you know, like, which is kind of a bummer because this could be a really this I'd like to be in the room because these are really negotiate juicy negotiations if you really think about it because this will shape the future of a league that is very close to graduating into a worldwide well-respected product and that's going to be I I I, I want to know I, I just want to know you know I I know we all do we all want to be able to sit comfortably um speaking of um I meant to ask you about uh, travel. I know we kind of touched on it and uh, we're going to get into like an LA Galaxy wish list, but uh, you know, as long as things go as scheduled, I mean, you're going to go to Houston. Uh, yeah, I'll be in, uh, I'll be in Houston and I will hopefully be in Miami. Um, so, I mean, I, yeah, I re- <laughs> returning to the CBA real quick. I really hope they get it done because I bought airfare for, for Houston yeah, that, already. That's what I was going to say. Otherwise um, I'm going to, otherwise I'm going to have a, a cool 48 hour vacation in a, in Houston, so oh, okay. anyone's got any recommendations to see cool things in case the CBA doesn't get done, please let me know. Oh, thank goodness. Um, yeah, maybe our LA Galaxy friend over in Dallas can can, can meet up with you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you guys can have barbecue. Yeah. Um, have a beer over the fact that we should be watching the Galaxy right now. You know, um, yeah, my... Uh, trip away is going to be the first one's going to be with you in, in Portland if everything works out well. Uh, that is going to be a lot of Portland, if, if you were listening to this podcast and you have never done an away trip, I always say my first uh, that I always suggest is the big trip up to San Jose, um, which is usually the weekend around July 4th. It, it's their big military July 4th patriotic celebration, but it happens at Stanford, you know, 600, 700 Galaxy fans go up. It's a ton of fun. Um, <laughs> But a close second for me is Portland. Portland is a really cool town. I mean, you know, a fantastic beer scene, fantastic food scene. Um, Providence Park might be my second favorite stadium in MLS after the Galaxy Stadium. Um, it is. It's a really cool old. It's. It was built in the 1920s. It still has. The thing I I, I love. I mean, I grew up summers going to Fenway Park, so I, I have a weird odd love affair with old stadiums. Hmm. Because you know the thing that I, I love about old stadiums. Well, in sports that, history, you are kind of a buff, you know, when it comes yeah, to soccer. I'm a bit of historian. Historian, um, yeah. But the thing I love about old sports stadiums is it was they are built, they're incredibly uncomfortable, they're horribly cramped, but they were built for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was that you got to your seat and it was built around the sole purpose of enjoying whatever sporting event was in front of you. Nowadays, in these, in like a lot of these stadiums, you know, they've got like all the gimmicks, you've got all like the video screens and like, you know, mm-hmm. all this other stuff. And it's not really about the experience of watching what is being presented on the field now, you know, like, but back then that was all that mattered because they just didn't have the technology. So Providence Park for me 
very much is that kind of sense in an MLS stadium, which is that it still retains the old feeling. I mean, if you like the seating area in the away end and um, the side that the away end on is all old wooden bleachers, like it is truly a purist's park. And it is, I, I, I do have a love for it. And it is, it is a very special place to take in a game. Um, and usually you get a lot of Galaxy fans going up there. So it's super fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I've yeah. done Seattle quite a few times. I haven't been able to do Portland. So Portland, Portland is a lot like Seattle is very, I hate the term urban, but like Seattle's <laughs> really built up and like whatever, like Portland doesn't feel like that. And it is okay. only, it's a little bit, I, I, I love Portland away. It's, it's one of my favorites. Um, Which is why I'm going with you. <laughs> yeah. I'll be yeah, no, it's it is a really uh, it is a really cool place to catch a game. Um, yeah, I mean there, there are a lot of good away trips this year. Um, I've heard Vancouver is always a really good away day. Um, who else? I mean, we've uh, unfortunately I don't think we get Montreal this year. I was gonna say that's the one away day that I really want to do because uh, Montreal's cool. Um, even if the French Canadians are psycho. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Views are his own. <laughs> Have you ever been to a Montreal? Montreal? No, Canadian I haven't. Game? Which is why I'm like, I don't know yet. But uh, combined, yeah, hockey, I mean, combined hockey and French Canadians, it gets. I'll ask Eve from Switch the Pitch for MLS MLS female. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, I mean, again, if you're if you're listening to this podcast and I've never done an away trip, it is really, it's a really fun way to see the galaxy, but also see parts of the country that you might not ever think about going to. Like I had friends last year that did. Um, yeah, that's a really good point because I never thought I'd be going to Kansas City and then right. and then I had friends with our I had I had friends who did. I think we played the. Or even Reds. Houston. Houston wasn't even on my radar it's because of the humidity, man. I thought we were gonna die. Oh, it was so hot. Um, but I think Houston was cool. I, Houston blew me away. I thought Houston was super cool. Yeah, no, um, it was way cool. Yeah. Even, friends, for example, I had friends that did uh-huh. Red Bull away last year and then did. The, I think the Galaxy played like four days later in Columbus. And they're like, yeah, we never thought we'd go to Columbus. And like, I texted, uh, I texted Eve after they came back from mm-hmm. Columbus. I was like, hey, how was the trip? Did you have fun? And they were like, Columbus was so cool. Like, we had no idea what we were stumbling into. So like, it is a great way to both see the galaxy and see cool places that maybe you would never really ever encounter. And I, that's the coolest part about away days for me is the fact that is the discovery of, you know, new friends that are galaxy fans, new places. And I love, I love food. Yeah. And I, I love, we're so used to the galaxy game day experience, right? Like you, you have mm-hmm. your preset rituals, you have your preset traditions and everything. It's kind of fun to go out of that bubble and see how other fans in this league experience game day, you know, like the stadium PA announcements. We all know what the galaxy ones are, you know, stuff like that. It's kind of, and it's, galaxy fans that live in these other cities. Exactly. It, it's a cool, it's a cool experience. I, I, I love it. It is, it is, it's a really unique experience and, it, and it's something that I don't think, that soccer fans get to experience more eminently in our sport than I think any other sport, you know, like you don't travel away to go to, like you, if you travel away to go to a baseball game, it's kind of like a novelty thing. It's not like, you know, you know, it's like, Oh cool. We're going to see, like, we're going to go see the Padres and you know, the Bay area. That's cool. But like, it's, it, 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 I don't think it carries the same weight as, you know, soccer fans going away to see their, to see their team for some reason. I just, it, I think it's just, it's a, for some reason, our sport, like away days, have a much bigger meaning than I think any other sport does. Agreed. Agreed. And as a Padres fan, why would you travel anywhere to go watch the Padres probably lose? <laughs> oh. if, we, if, we, if we get any wins this season, it's a success, which is something I can't believe I'm saying. I'm a Dodgers fan. I'm all like, give me my What's ring. It like both to of win? Them. 
what's it like to win? Well, when there are a bunch of cheaters, um, oh, to know that back to back that that happened, yeah, that's a that's a podcast of its own. Of it, its own. It, it really is. Um, but just to touch on the Houston fans, though, man, they they jumped out and tried to beat up two of my male friends and then uh, threw beer at us. So that wasn't cool. But and that <laughs> was like we were just walking past uh, where we needed to go meet up to. There's, there's assholes in every fan base. That's all I can say. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Ah, LA Galaxy. <laughs> I think we. I miss well, it. I miss. It. I just wanted to this season. Can it? Can we just? Oh, please. I know the V Block Party is happening um, February eighth, and so that's sad. my birthday weekend, so it's just gonna be a blast. I'm so sad I'm gonna miss that. It looks like it's gonna be a ton of fun. The, I the, know. Okay, so you saw the photo that just circulated about two days ago of the new standing, uh, the new word yeah. of, of, of block. I, yeah, it, I actually like it. Wow. it yeah. I, was, I mean, when you see renderings of things, you know, you're kind of sure, like, and you see it in construction, you're like, what is this? Yeah, well, when you see a rendering of like a stadium or whatever, you know, like it's never gonna look that good. It it looks that good. Oh my god. Yeah. It's I. It, yeah. That I think is making me so freaking excited. And, and it's not even done <laughs> yet, right? Like, no. Yeah. yeah, yeah just, it was just like a teaser picture. It was. Oh, I think salivating, like, guys. Excuse me. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Can it be February 28th yet? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I want to be home. So yeah, exactly. February, I mean, March 7th is. Well, sure, but still, <laughs> at least we, at least we'll have something. You know, 40 days, but who's counting? No. <laughs> Me, I'm counting. I know. <laughs> like everybody, there was like, it's still January, and like honestly, we were already feeling like this was dragged out and long, and then Kobe died, and you're like, oh my god, just this has just been the terrible start to the year, and. Well, hopefully we'll end it with a uh, six MLS Cup to to make up really some of the. You know what? With Chicharito, I'm starting to get that faith, and this is coming from a U.S. national team fan, so just saying. Um, we sign a center back. Yeah, he'll go. He's been. Easing into training, though, he hasn't quite – because I think he's also waiting for some papers. To yeah, also the, I mean, the other thing is he's played half a season already. It's not like they really need to worry about him being at full fitness because he's, he's played half a season. Yeah. Um, so we did talk about the Chicharito effect already. Um, and you just see stories surfacing. I love it when it's like, hey, my my colleague isn't a soccer fan, but they're getting on me about these about Chicharito. Um, but, yeah, what is your – your wish list because I know that you know uh, we got a question on Twitter about the center back. Like, what what are we going to do about our positions here? Obviously, defense was the major concern. Um, I mean, it's pretty much set back there, if you ask me. Well, I mean, the, there was a rumor floating around that the Galaxy were interested in Carlos Salcedo out of uh, Tigres. Mm. I would I would love that if they could manifest it. My problem is kind of you know thinking in the shower earlier today. If you're getting ready to record, I was like, I just don't see how they can get that deal done in a way that's salary cap friendly to the Galaxy to the point where they wouldn't have to waste a designated player spot. Um, not waste, I mean use. Um, so mm. that's a concern. If they could, if but, they didn't, could, but didn't they move Alessandrini to give somebody else a, a DP spot? Well, yeah, but like, uh, I know, cause it would be Jonathan DeSantos and Chicharito and Pavon fills a yeah, player spot. So they're out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they would have to obviously figure out a way to contract him in to the point where he doesn't take a DP slot, but if they could get it done, I mean, that would be a massive, massive. Everybody keeps getting mad at us. You know how everybody hate us because they ain't us. 
Yeah. I mean, if have, obviously if you're listening to this, you're you're a Galaxy fan, I assume. We we have we have the best <laughs> accounting we have the best accounting department in the league, and that 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 is. And people keep form. saying we're breaking the rules. <laughs> no, we just have a really a lot of really good CPAs. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, if they could get Salcedo out of Tigres, I mean, he's he's kind of fallen out a little bit over the past year. Um, but I mean, he's I mean, he went to a World Cup. He's 33, 33 caps from Mexico. He's still twenty six, so they could get a couple of years out of him. Um, yeah, was it was it Hercules Gomez? I forgot that Pavon had been in the World Cup. So he didn't necessarily forget. I made that. <laughs> oh, yeah, you made that. that was your tweet. What I said, what no, but what when he said, he literally said like, if you look at the midfield around him, like Pavon, eh, and was like, the two went to the World Cup in 2018. Like he he didn't and he and he didn't just go to a World Cup and was kind of the guy that was on the sidelines being like, yeah, go Argentina. Like he was playing. Oh yeah, he was. Yeah, <laughs> we, that's that was one of the major reasons like we were thrilled that he was here, um, and he joined us, you know, in the summer window, and it was like this guy's phenomenal. What do you mean? Eh. Yeah. Anyway. anyway, people get paid to say stupid shit all the time. Ask uh, ask Max Bredos. Well, um, LAFC supporter now. Yeah. Again, people get paid to say stupid stuff all the time. Ask Max Bredos. Or Alexi Lawless. But anyway, I mean. I think the Galaxy probably – my wish list right now is a center back, a left back, and I wanted, I want defensive midfield cover. I, I, I just think if they, they need someone – again, and I've pontificated on this podcast before about how I believe that Jonathan Dos Santos' skill set is a very unique skill set that not a lot of players possess. But if they can find someone that isn't exactly the same skill set because they would have to pay top dollar for it, but someone that can like roughly approximate it, so in case – you know you know, the worst happens. Jonathan Dos Santos is out for an extended period of time. They don't have to reshape the the way the midfield ticks. They can actually just, you know, plug someone in and roughly play it the same way. So I think those are kind of my big three positions. I mean, also the the other, you know, obvious need right now is, is, a, is a backup center forward. You know, just we got really lucky with the fact that Ibrahimovic could play as many games as he did. Like, yeah, that's like, what I doesn't just always I just want to build depth. Yeah, I mean, and 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 the thing is, you can go out in MLS and go out and buy, you know, with allocation money, you can go out and buy a backup striker. Like, I mean, there's. Well, I mean, let's not forget Zubak is there. Yeah, no, but I mean, has Zubak shown anything in his career up to date at the first team level that he could cut it? Not yet, but uh, just playing devil's advocate here. <laughs> you can also go out in MLS and get a guy that, you you know, you, you don't need him to, you don't need your backup striker to score 20 goals. Like, you, just, you can get a guy that will get you eight off the bench. That's, you know, good enough. And there's, I mean, those guys are a dime a dozen in MLS. So I wouldn't worry too much about the backup striker position. I think they have a plan and they're just trying to get, you know, everything done. I think more of the concern should be around the defensive positioning in terms of center back and left back. And then also the defensive midfield depth. I think that's where my wish list goes. So if you have, if you have any other wish list items, please add them and send them into the ether and hopefully someone will answer them. (laughs) (laughs) I had seen that we were interested um, in some Dutch players and, you know, just because <laughs> I think that's, that's the other place that my heart goes nationally. Um, I, I know that they didn't qualify either, but um, I, I'd, I would like to have seen that. But the reason I'm pulling back now is because LAFC went and got their. Oh, uh, yeah. Their new goalkeeper. Goalkeeper. So it's, so what I was going to say, I don't know that that we're still looking for another goalkeeper, but I, I know Bingham made a lot of saves and I know the defense, you know, 
let him down and made him work hard. But uh, just going to take a nod from our friend uh, Huguino and <laughs> say we need, we need somebody besides Bingham. I mean, yeah, that, I could I could definitely see them making a move at goalkeeper. Um, but the one thing I think that is maybe keeping Bingham in position is, I mean, uh, Bingham led the league in saves last year. Now that's because his defense was <laughs> more than happy to give up shots from pretty much any angle. But also, I mean, he's a, he's a solid domestic keeper. He doesn't take international slot. He doesn't take up a lot of salary cap. And he's not, you know, there is an occasion where he'll win you a game a season, but he doesn't need to be stellar, you know? And so like mm-hmm. they can go average at keeper and, and instead bolster, excuse me, instead bolster the roster to every other position. So I think maybe that's why Bingham has stayed around and they haven't really gone after another keeper, but I mean, they were, they were linked with uh Ben Yorl's goalkeeper down in Uruguay. So I mean, they, they, they could be moving on that, you know, but one, one thing I will commend Dennis DeClosa and his front office on is that, they've kept things very tight to the chest. Like not a lot of information leaks are getting out, you know, so that's, you know, they work in silence and I think it's a, it's an admirable thing. And, and I just wanted to mention too, that um, Klein seems to have given the space for uh, Shiloto and uh, to close to do their thing. Um, what are your feelings on Klein now? Um, I thought Klein is the one problem with, Klein is that he's been too involved, and I think that this is a yeah. this trend that you alluded to is is a very is a very good thing that he's kind of decided to take a more. I, I, Chris Klein's been very yeah. well. He's been very good on the business side of things, like the the non soccer operation stuff. Chris Klein's been very good, and I think I think just at some point there was over the past two or three seasons there was too much on his plate. You know, like he kind of realized that like. I can't be really successful on the off the field stuff and the on field stuff at the same time, just because there's only one of me. So I think this is a really good sign of him. And also, I mean, like, look, it does take a certain level of maturity to say, look, I screwed up. I didn't do a good job. I'm going to step, you know, I'm going to step back. And that's kind of what's happened here is that he kind of, I think realized like, oof, two of the worst seasons in the galaxy history are on my plate. Like maybe, yeah. I need, maybe I need to step away and figure out like where I'm the most useful. So I, I give him credit, you know, and, and I've, I've long been a, a Chris Klein hater, but I, you know, I, I, I can't really say anything right now because he's, I think he, I think he made the right decision. Yeah. I mean, the, the reason I, I brought it up too is because like uh, MLS released the review of, you know, the, the last 25 seasons and as we're coming up here and uh, yeah, obviously Klein played and everything. And so it's just, it's just that, um, you know, looking back and thinking, oh, you know, Galaxy want to burn, whatever, um, that part of our history with him in the, yeah, the last two seasons and um, being able to trust GBS and, and like I said, to, to close it, to bring their guys in, that that's what this rebuild is right now. Like they're the ones that are rebuilding. They're the ones that are making the moves, you know, versus like they're getting their guys in is what I'm getting at. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, um, I think I was going to say that, you know, I mean, there really isn't other news, you guys, Uh, you know, that's why we call it simply soccer to keep bringing you everything that that it entails. (laughs) We we are, we are bringing the washcloth of galaxy news as tight as we can for every last drop. Yeah. And uh, I really appreciate you guys for tuning in. I know, I know we appreciate you tuning in and, and sticking it out with us. So until next week, Have a good week, everyone, and uh, 
just <laughs> please get it to be the galaxy season, please. I know. Let's get the CBA thing done and yeah, whatever and day, whatever whatever religious. If you if you are so religiously inclined, whatever deity you pray to, please <laughs> just don't let the CBA oh, negotiation. That's what out. I was gonna say though, really quick, because like, oh my god, I just remember, like, the jerseys are ugly. <laughs> Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I forgot we were going to talk about that. <laughs> we were going to talk about the, the, the reason. Yeah, okay, it's the 25th anniversary, and uh, the Seattle Sounders jerseys were already hella ugly, if you ask me. Um, what is that? And then ab- now there's, like, stripes now? What is that abomination that is that San Jose away kit? Like, what is that abomination? Also, yeah, what's with the Galaxy Clerks? Like, <laughs> Be prepared to create. <laughs> when, you, when you think well, of the Chicago Fire rebrand, it's, like, the ugliest thing and I think Columbus Crew are coming up with, they're trying to think if they're going to rebrand. There was a rumor going around on the Columbus Crew thing. Uh, Bezbachenko, who's the GM out, uh, and president out there, basically came out and squashed it. I, it would be stupid. Oh, okay. With the Chicago Fire brand, like, why? Like, the Chicago Fire logo, a lot of the old MLS logos, like, if you look through the old 96 logos, et cetera, like, a lot of them don't stand the test of time. Chicago's was like the one logo that did, you know. Like, yeah, I know, and I don't know, man. And then, and then you got okay, we got the silver. I, I don't think ours is horrible. I, I actually, I, I think I like it. I like it a lot. I, I was gonna say, I think I'm gonna get me a Jonathan Dos Santos one with the five stars. Just so. the, the neck. The, my problem is like the neckline looks really weird on all these jerseys. Like you haven't noticed, like the the, the collars look weird. To that. No. Congratulations. By the way, welcome to Simply Soccer Fashion Week. <laughs> and on our left, we have nobody sporting the ugly. <laughs> there are. Pichonito, he likes his jerseys to be loose on him, but when the when it is fit on them, like uh, on Felcher, you know, not that he's not incredibly hot or anything, but. Uh... <laughs> it's just the collar is weird. I, uh, like. Now but that I, I noticed, it's I feel, bad, I feel bad for everyone that now that I've just mentioned it, everyone's gonna look at it and everyone's gonna feel the exact same thing that I do, which is that there's just like one thing off about every jersey, and I think it's the collar line. It just looks weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I can't wear white because I spill food on it for sure. That's exactly That's, what's that, gonna happen. That is that is the problem with being a Galaxy fan wearing our home jerseys is that if you are clumsy with any kind of food product, it's. <laughs> You're going to ruin it. I lost a David Beckham jersey to that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I lost I lost a jacket to a uh, unfortunate uh, Katsu Curry incident. You know what? And mine was nacho cheese. But you know what? When you mentioned the jacket, though, that might be pretty dope to get. Oh, those jackets are amazing. It's just like, when do we need a jacket, really, though? <laughs> For your own trips to cold places. Okay, there you go. When I go to Minnesota. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, you guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys so much, and uh, we uh, we're, we're getting there, guys. We're we're so close to the season. I was gonna say this is it. This is happening. Those those jerseys that you're looking at, that's it. Those are them. 